You are listening to a message from Foothills Church in Miraville, Tennessee. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com. Good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? Good. All right. Got some energy here this morning from one person. That's great. Well, I am uh, excited to continue through our, uh, our marriage series. Uh, last week, Trent kicked it off, did a great job. Uh, just kind of opening God's word about marriage. I'm excited to be preaching on marriage this week uh, because this week is actually the week of uh, Jill and my sixth anniversary. So we are uh, excited about that. Thank you. So you can understand how much uh, patience and grace she has shown to put up with me for six years. So excited uh, that this kind of falls in line with that. Uh, so it was, it was almost exactly... Six years ago today that I stood in a church and looked down the center aisle uh, as all of our friends and family were standing in front of me, saw two wooden doors and suddenly the doors opened up and revealed this beautiful woman in a white dress and she started walking down the aisle towards me and any of you who have been any guys in this position, that's an overwhelming experience. Uh, as you just see God's grace, as he has, has given you this woman as your wife. And I was so excited. It was a beautiful day as we, we celebrated our marriage. We celebrated uh, what God was doing. But I will tell you that, that at that moment, we had prepared for the ceremony. Right? We had done the rehearsal. We knew where to go, what to say. We had even been through premarital counseling right? And so we thought we had a good idea about how to get married. But let me tell you, knowing how to get married is much different than knowing how to be married. And over these past six years, we've learned so much about what, what it really means to, to live in a marriage in a way that God desires. And, and I will tell you that the biggest thing that we have struggled with is that both of us bring our own expectations, our own past, our own thoughts into a marriage, right? And we think that we can do things our way and that our marriage will go well. Probably, probably the biggest lesson that I've learned in the past six years is that when I try to do my marriage my way or when Jill tries to do our marriage her way, it doesn't work, right? It just does not work. And I think that's, I think that's actually biblical. Uh, I think the fact that when we try to do things our way, Outside of what God directs us to do, it's, it leads to problems. And in fact, the Bible says in Proverbs 14, 12, there's a way that seems right to man, but its end is the way of death, All right? So there's a way that seems right to us about how to live our marriage. But if we follow that and ignore God's plan, it leads to destruction, and so my desire this morning is that, is that we recognize that, that some of us maybe who are, who are trying to do marriage our way, or maybe some of us who aren't married but are thinking about what's ahead with marriage, that we would recognize that we need to see how God calls us to live in marriage. And so I wanna start at the very beginning of the Bible. The Bible actually begins uh, with a wedding. And so I wanna look at this passage in Genesis 2. If you have your Bibles, if you would open up to Genesis 2, beginning in verse 18. Read along with me. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. 
Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field, every bird of the heavens, and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. Whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this is at last bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the fact that you are here with us this morning. God, our, our desire in life, in marriage, even this morning is to honor you. Uh, Father, to live a life that pleases you. We know ultimately you are the one who has created us. You are the one who loves us and you have designed marriage as your gift to be experienced in the way that you have called us to live. And so, Father, we, we pray that we would not settle for marriages that are just okay, that, that are based on, on our ideas, but, Father, that we would seek to know how you have called us to live and experience the blessings that come when we live in marriages that are done your way. So that's our desire. Pray, God, you would open our eyes and our hearts to see your truth this morning. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Uh, well, I want to see several, several points from this passage this morning. And so we're going to go through, it'll be a little different, not just a few points, but several, and we'll move through them. Uh, the first point that I want us to see out of this passage is that marriage is God's good plan for creation. So we don't even get through two chapters of the Bible before God creates marriage. And, and what's been happening uh, before this is God has created the universe. He's created the world. Uh, he's created the land and the seas. And then he's created these animals and he's been bringing animals to Adam. And, and, and Adam is looking at naming these animals. So he sees the hippo and right? says, well, that looks like a hippo. Why? Well, it looks more like a hippo than anything else I've seen. And an elephant, right? And walking through all these animals. And then God, God says, okay, there's something missing here. And so he creates a woman and Adam says, at last, right? Finally, after looking at all these animals, here is what I've been waiting for. I think a Southern definition of this is Shazam, right? He's overwhelmed and thankful that God has created someone who compliments him. Right? He's created and designed someone who fits who he is. And so he's rejoicing at this. What, one thing I want us to see here, who is it who brings all of this together? It's God, right? God created Adam. He created Eve. He brought her to Adam. He joined them together in marriage. All of this is God's creation. And it's not just Adam and Eve's marriage, right? It's your marriage and my marriage. It is created by God. And he knows more about marriage even than Dr. Phil. Like he knows how marriage works and he knows how it's, he's designed it to work in our lives. And the question is, do we believe that? Do, do we really believe that God knows better than us? 
or even the experts on the bookshelves at Barnes and Noble? Do we really believe that God designed our marriage and that when we live according to his principles, we'll experience blessing? Now, how many men in here don't like following instructions like when you're doing a project? Okay, yeah, thank you. Some of your wives are going, even if you're not raising your hand. We don't, right? We, we think we can figure it out. And so we, we pull open all these packages of screws and all these different things, and we, we try to make it work. Uh, do we have a video this morning? I'll watch a video if we have it. Um, we've been having a little issues. No? All right, here we go. Love that video. I, I have been there, right? It's like, man, I know all these pieces should fit together. Why are there all these screws sitting here? So, so here's, here's the application to us this morning. Is God has given us the directions to marriage in his word. And the question is, are we going to disregard those and convince ourselves that we are the exception and that we can do things our way and if that's the path we choose, I'm afraid so many of us will look down with a few screws in our hand and literally our marriage crumbled in the floor. And so my desire this morning is that we, we look to God and his design and follow that. And, and one of the main things that we have to see in order to have a healthy marriage is the way that God has designed a man and a woman to come together in marriage, right? God has, has designed genders, and he's designed us in different ways. Everybody knows this, right? But it's not just our anatomy that's different. He's designed us specifically in different ways to reflect his image and glory as we fulfill the roles that God has given us to fulfill, right? And so we have man and woman coming together in marriage. Now, there are many differences, Right, we, we all would acknowledge this, that, that there are many differences. And when you come together in a marriage, you see those on a daily basis, right? I've heard it said that marriage is sleeping in a room that's too hot right next to a person sleeping in a room that's too cold. Anybody experience that? There's so many differences and that's just one of the small ones. I have, I have no way of understanding the appeal of Downton Abbey. That makes absolutely... No sense to me whatsoever. I've tried, but, but it just doesn't. There, there's so many differences to the way that we work, right? And the way that God has designed us. And here's the deal. That's okay, right? It's okay if we're not exactly the same. That is the way God has, has put us together. And, and literally the word that's used here uh, is that we are like opposite. We're like opposite of our, of our spouse. So a man is like opposite of a woman. Now here's the deal. You have to excuse my illustrations this morning. We're based on looking at a floor with toys of a three-year-old. So uh, when you have a puzzle and you put it together, if you have two of the exactly, uh, exactly the same pieces, it doesn't work, right? You have to have pieces that are different, but at the same time, they're rightly made to fit together. There's a seahorse. If I don't get this back to my son, he's going to freak out, see a missing part of his puzzle. But here's the deal is you have 
been created differently from your wife, but in a way that is, that is rightly opposite. And your husband, right? That, that when you come together and you fulfill the role that God has given you to fulfill, it, it works and it's a beautiful thing, right? And so we can get so aggravated by our differences and, and the way that women work or the way that men work and, and we can struggle, but here's the deal. It's a beautiful creation of God. And when it comes together in unity, where we, we recognize that he or she fills up in some ways what I'm lacking, when I'm able to, to do certain things she can't, that we work together in a way that complements one another. And it's a beautiful thing. And it's God's creation in a man and a woman. So the first thing we see is marriage is God's good plan for his creation. The second point that I want us to see is marriage is God's good plan for experiencing unity. In Genesis 2.24, it says, they shall become one flesh. And then, and then Jesus in Mark 10, he has people who come and they're asking him questions about marriage and divorce. And Jesus goes to this passage in Genesis 2. And he says, this is the foundation of marriage. And so he adds two, he, he repeats and he says, they shall become one flesh and the two uh, shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. So Jesus is making a point here. He's saying, you are no longer two individuals when you come together in marriage, but you are united as one. There, there is a relationship in marriage that's unique. And literally the picture here is we're sharing the same skin. Now, how many of you all grew up with brothers and sisters that you shared a bedroom? Right, some of you guys are still in that. My brother and I, from the time we were little, we shared a bedroom and we had bunk beds, Right? That didn't always go well. That, that, that wasn't always easy because we had different ideas and, and different things we wanted to do. And so there may or may not have been bodies flying off of the top bunk, right? There may or may not have been trips to the emergency room with a busted skull that needed stitches, right? I still swear he slipped on his own footy pajamas. He has a different story. But here's the deal. When you're trying to share the same space, it's difficult. And if we're talking about sharing a, a one flesh relationship, we're gonna have disagreements, right? We're gonna bump heads. We're gonna see things differently. And so it is going to be a challenge to live together in this kind of relationship. And here's, here's how do we do it, right? I mean, it seems impossible to have two people that are so different living together unified in this, this relationship. How do we do it? And I think Paul Tripp's words are, are helpful. He says that you have to not live with a meistic viewpoint. Now, this is a word he made up. But the point is, a meistic view of the world looks at your marriage and everything around yourself. So your marriage exists for what? For you, right? For your happiness, right? And so, and so your view of your marriage and your spouse is how do I get this person to make me happy, to do things that serve me and please me. Now, here's the problem. If you have two people coming together with a meistic viewpoint, what's the end gonna be? It's gonna be a war, right? Your, your house is literally going to be a battle zone because you have two kings, right, fighting for their kingdom in one place. And so it will not lead to a healthy marriage if each of you are focused on yourself. So what you have to do is recognize we're not two separate fighting for our view, fighting for our way. We're one, right? We're unified in a, what he calls a weistic perspective. So, so you have a weistic perspective of your life. Now, what does this mean? This means that 
everything about your life is impacted by the other person and you're thinking through things from a unified we point of view. So the way that you plan your calendar, this is a big one for us, right? The way that you plan your calendar is not simply what works for you, but what works together, right? What works for both of you. The way that you spend your money, the way that you spend your time and energy, the way that you relate to other people, all of these things, you don't just make decisions for what serves you or what, what advances your perspective, but what works for both of you, right? So even if you are not physically together with your spouse. You need to be thinking about him or her and making decisions and walking through life with this weistic perspective. And so the question is, do we do this, right? Like this morning, are, are, do we live kind of independent lives where we're each kind of making our own choices and decisions focused on us? Or do we recognize that we've been brought together, right? And we need to make decisions and think through things from the perspective of the other. Uh, the next point that we see is that marriage is God's plan for ordering relationships. Marriage is God's plan for ordering relationships. Verse 24 says the man is called to leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. Uh, the, I don't know if any of you all have like King James or grew up in a church that preached that. The literal, the, the way that the King James translates this is to leave and cleave. Right, it's, it's saying that you're, you're called to leave the primary relationship being your parents and that family and cleave, not a word we use a lot, but join like we're glued together in a new relationship. What's this saying? The, the point of this is that our marriage has to become our primary relationship. It has to become the number one relationship. And so this is going to affect our relationship with our parents. Now, now, how many of y'all have been to a wedding in the last year or so? Okay, several. We've all probably been to a wedding at one point. When you go to a wedding, there's a point in the ceremony, the bride comes down with her dad and hands her off in some sense. So you have the, the, the preacher that says, who gives this man to marry this woman, her mother and I. And then you have the dad that takes his, his girl's hand, some of you guys are crying over this still, hands it to the man, Right? And then he goes and sits in his seat and, and the marriage continues. Now, now, this is not just something that we throw in as a, as a cute thing in our ceremony, right? This is something that pictures what is actually happening in the marriage, that, that this woman is leaving and this man are leaving their, their primary relationships being their parents and are joining into this new family relationship where the primary focus is their spouse. Um, now, this doesn't mean you're cutting off your parents, right? This doesn't mean like, okay, we can't talk anymore. You're still called to love and honor and respect. There's still a close relationship, but the relationship should change. Now, the primary opinion that you're concerned about is that of your spouse, right? And, and if you don't do this, you'll, if you continue to rely on your parents to be your emotional fulfillment, to fill your emotional needs, right? You'll never actually be able to experience the depth of, of an intimate relationship with your spouse, right? And so God has called us to do this, to recognize we need to, to move beyond that relationship, even with our parents, and put our primary focus, our primary thoughts on our spouse. Now, some of us, uh, that's easy, right? Uh, some of us are like the parents in a book uh, I was reading that says this, the author writes, we were visiting friends when they received a telephone call from their recently married daughter. After several tense minutes on the phone, 
The mother told the father to pick up the extension. The newlyweds had their first big fight. In a few moments, the father rejoined us and tersely explained. She said she wanted to come home. What did you tell her, I asked. I told her she was home. <laughs> Some of you guys have had that conversation. Here's the point, is, is, there, is there is this transitioning that's, that's happening, right? From, from this is now your home, this is now your family. Now, some of us parents, it's easy to move beyond that. But in order, one of the biggest challenges that many of us face in keeping the right priorities of our relationships is our children, right? Keeping our, our relationship with our spouse in front of our kids is one of the most difficult things. Uh, and, and I mean, I, I see this like yesterday, my son and I, it was an awesome day. We were out at the pool, right? He was doing Superman jumps off the side. I was catching him, right? We were hanging out. It was great, right? And, and we do, we enjoy our relationship with our kids. There's, there's so much fun and enjoyment and, and love that comes in that relationship. But the problem is, is so many people, they look to that as the, their primary place where their relational needs are met, right? That nurturing relationship with our kids. And it, and it happens and, and we have to work to make sure that our relationship with our spouse stays in front even of that relationship, right? It stays as the primary. Much research on child abuse has actually shown that, that many people who, who abuse their children don't do it because they hate their kids or they don't have enough love for them. The reason that a lot of people abuse their children is because they have too much expectation of their love of their kids, right? They put so much emphasis and focus and their kids are their primary needs and, and they look to them to, to fulfill them. And when their kids don't, when their kids don't show them the love that they want or, or they rebel against them, they go crazy, right? And here's the point, your kids cannot handle that. Right, right, your children cannot maintain that, that primary love relationship. That has to be with your spouse. Uh, and, so, and so there's all kinds of different relationships that we have. And once again, I've got the, the toddler uh, illustrations here. But here's the point is, is that there is, there is a way that God has designed relationships to work. And when we follow his order and his priorities, things work. So we're, we're called, humanly speaking, to have our relationship with our spouse as primary, and we have our relationship with our kids and our family and our friends, right? And, and as, we, as we do things this way, life just works, right? It's the way God's designed the fabric of the universe, that there's blessing in our relationships. What happens is when we try to turn things around, it crashes, right? Why? Because those other relationships aren't made. God hasn't designed them to hold the weight of your relational needs, right? And so this is how God has called us to live. And so maybe some of us this morning, this is what we need to ask. Am I letting other relationships in my life come in front of my spouse? Whether that's my parents or my kids or my friends or my brothers or sisters, right? Am I allowing my focus to be more on other relationships or on the love of my spouse that God has called me to focus on? So, so this is important, the priority of relationships in our life. Uh, the next point is that marriage is God's good plan for experiencing his sovereignty. Once again, as I said, when Jesus in Mark 10 quotes Genesis 2, he adds a few words. Don't do that. Only Jesus can do that, by the way, right? But Jesus says, what therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Um, so God is the one who joins man and woman together in marriage. And, and I want to tell you, this is not just Adam and Eve or theoretical marriages. 
But God is the one who joins your marriage together. He is sovereign over your marriage. And so here's what this means. Think about you as you were growing up, wherever you were, right? Your spouse was growing up at the same time. And you guys were going through stages of life and were growing and developing in different ways. And then at some point your paths crossed. Maybe that was early on, maybe that was later in life. But here's the truth is that God was at work in both of your lives and he was preparing and working in you and one day he would sovereignly bring you together in this relationship. And it is by his grace, right? Your spouse was given to you specifically as your gift from God. Now here's, here's the point I want us to say is do we believe that, right? Do we experience that? Do we, do we celebrate that in our lives? Now, how many of you all are on Christmas morning, everybody opens one gift at a time and goes around in a circle. Let's raise your hands. How many, one gift at a time people. How many of you all are free for all on the gifts, everybody at once? Okay, not sure where a lot of you guys are. <laughs> I think there's only two options. Here's the deal. I was, my family is one at a time gift openers, right? Christmas morning takes like eight hours, right? Because everything and you're thanking everybody for it. Jill's is like ravenous wolves, right? <laughs> like the gifts are on a pot, they just attack them. Uh, and so we've been working through this uh, in our marriage. But, but my, my family, with my family going around, Judson, of course, has like 1,500 more gifts than anyone else. He's the only grandkid. And so he opens a gift from my brother. He opens it up and uh, it is a CD, right? He's not amused. <laughs> He's like, I don't like it. I want a toy. And he just takes it and throws it, right? Of course, I'm cringing. And you know this, if you've been there, you want your kids to appreciate the gifts that somebody's given them. You know, somebody has put thought and, and money into that gift. And so I want, us, I want us to think about with that perspective this morning, if I wonder how God feels when he has graciously and sovereignly bought, brought us together with our spouse in a marriage, right? And he has, he has given them to, uh, this is a person who he loves, who he formed together, who he brought to you by his grace. And we constantly critique them. We're constantly dissatisfied with them. We're constantly talking about problems with the way they do things or who they are. Right? I mean, think about that. How, how does God respond? This is his daughter. This is his son that he's given to us by his grace. And, and do we view it that way? Because it's only when we worship God as the creator and the one who sovereignly gave us our spouse that we can actually be thankful for who they are. We can kind of relax and settle in. Be thankful even for the differences. Right? Even for the things that, that aren't always easy, because here's the deal. All of, us, all of us can struggle with wanting to recreate our spouse in our image. We, we can struggle with, well, it, life would be a whole lot easier if they did this, or you know, this would be easier for me to deal with, or I would enjoy this more. And so we can mentally think about ways to try to re... And, and that's, that is disrespecting God. Right? And it's disregarding the gift that he's given us. And so, so my call for us this morning, recognize that. Your spouse is a sovereign gift of God that he has brought to you so that you can celebrate the way that they've enhanced your lives. You can celebrate who they are. Right? Be thankful for them. So 
The next point I want us to see is that marriage is God's good plan for experiencing growth. We'll move through this quickly. In the video at the beginning, you heard a quote. And it said, what if God designed marriage not to make us happy, but to make us holy? Remember that quote from the beginning? And that's, that comes from a book by a guy named Gary Thomas. And I think it's a helpful perspective as we think about our marriage. God's main design in your life and desire in your life is not that you just be a happy person all the time and that life is easy. God's main desire, his main will in your life is that you grow more and more into the image of Jesus, that you grow in holiness, right? And, and so here's the deal is, is that's a very different spin on marriage. Because if your marriage exists to make you happy, then what's gonna happen is, is you're gonna go through difficulties and it's not gonna be easy and you're gonna look around at you at marriages that seem to have it way easier than you and you're gonna wonder what's wrong. And like Trent said last week, you're gonna be to ask yourselves, have I made a really big mistake? But if you understand that God's design in your marriage is not to make you happy, but to make you holy, you recognize that even these difficulties and these struggles have a purpose, Right? And that often marriage will expose sin. There's no doubt about it. Marriage will expose your selfishness. It'll expose your lack of patience, right? It'll expose your envy, all of these things. It will bring those to the surface and God allows it to do that so that we can deal with that, right? Not so that we can just be miserable, but so that we can see our sin, deal with it and grow through his grace. And we work together as, as spouses in, in helping one another grow and, and not, not judge, being judgmental, but dealing with sin in one another's lives and, and confessing and forgiving and, and helping one another move forward in growth, right? So, so this is God's design for growth through our marriage. Uh, the next point I wanna see, want us to see this morning is that marriage is God's good plan for experiencing his grace. Now, when we... If, if we're honest this morning, when we, when we start thinking about these points that we've looked at, it seems overwhelming. And, and you're probably like, Brant, you are crazy, right? Like that is, that is unrealistic to expect me to live in marriage in this way. And the truth is it is, right? It's absolutely impossible for us to experience marriage the way God's called us to live. But the good news is that there aren't just two people in a marriage, there's three. And I'm not talking about some kind of sister wives situation. The, the person of God, the, the person of Christ is actually at work in your marriage. The Bible says that Jesus came. He lived the perfect life that we all fail to live. He lived it in our place. And then he died the death we all deserve to die on the cross, taking our sin upon himself, taking our punishment so that we could be forgiven. And then he rose from the grave and now he comes and he lives in us. And so if you are a Christian and your spouse is a Christian, the very presence of Christ, the very spirit of God is at work in you. And he wants you to succeed, right? He, he wants this to work. And so he gives you his grace. And so we are called to be dependent on that. On a daily basis to be dependent on his grace. Second uh, Peter 1.3 says that in Christ we have everything we need for life and godliness. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 says, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. Do we believe that? Do we really believe that God's love and his grace working in us is enough to handle the difficulties in our lives and in our marriages, right? 
Do we really believe that? Because it's, it's huge in the way that we view our marriage, the way we view our struggles, the way that we maintain hope. Because the truth is, our primary hope for our marriage is not found in another book or a different spouse. It's not found in more principles of how to be married. It's found in a person. It's found in Jesus Christ. And so when we look to him and when we experience more deeply a relationship with him, when we see that he loves us, that he died for us, that there's forgiveness in grace, when we grow more deeply into a relationship, we're experiencing his love. That's what empowers us to show the love and forgiveness that our marriage needs. We need to consistently repeat to our spouse, you wronged me, but I wronged Jesus and he keeps on covering me and forgiving me. So I'm loved enough by him that I can offer the same thing to you. Right, I, I know that I've rejected Jesus and I've sinned against him, but he consistently covers me and forgives me so that I can offer that to you freely. All the love I, have, I need, I find in Christ. And so I can freely give that to you. Uh, the gospel, th this, this kind of forgiveness, right, and grace is, is like the oil in our car. Without oil in your car, your car's gonna shut down. Without showing forgiveness and grace to our spouse, our marriage will absolutely shut down. It won't work. And pardon the analogy here, but the gospel is like the jiffy loop, right? In the gospel, we find the grace that we need to produce the oil of the love and forgiveness that keeps our marriage moving. And so as we dive into the gospel and experience God's grace and love for us, we in, we're enabled to have that love and forgiveness towards our spouse. The final point as we close this morning is that marriage ultimately is, is God's good plan for experiencing his love. Um, there was a movie, it's been a while, with Tom Cruise and Renee Zellweger called Jerry Maguire. And uh, I don't know if you all have, have seen this movie. It's now on TBS and all these cha channels all the time. So, so here's the deal. In this movie, it's this romantic comedy, whatever, and Tom Cruise comes in at the end. If you've seen this, you know the scene. He comes in this living room, right? And Renee's there and these other ladies. And, and he goes into this whole spiel. I'm not gonna read the whole thing, but I'll read part of it. And he says, it wasn't complete. It wasn't nearly close to being in the same vicinity as complete because I couldn't share it with you. You complete me, right? And then Renee's like, shut up, shut up. You had me at hello. <laughs> Sorry for that. Here's the deal. Some of us, we have that perspective that our wife should complete us, but it's impossible that our, that our husband should complete us. They can't. Right, it's, it's, and these kind of, the kind of movie and book mentality of romanticism and a wife or a husband that will completely complete every physical, spiritual, emotional need that you have is like snipe hunting. Anybody been snipe hunting? As a kid, I went to Georgia with some people I thought were my friends <laughs> and they took me snipe hunting, right? It's so frustrating to get to the end of a night you've been walking around looking for something that doesn't exist. But I think that's what happens in so many of our lives. We're looking in our spouse, in our romantic relationships for something 
that does not exist, right? And so, and so you and your, your spouse sit down and, and you, you, you're on the couch and you're watching the notebook. <laughs> and your wife's like, man, why don't we ever go canoeing through streams filled with flowers? Or, you know, like make out in the rain. <laughs> and you're like, we have any more chips? And the point is, is that it sets up these unreal expectations and they lead to discouragement and disappointment. And here's, here's the truth I want you, right now, let's just all recognize no other human can complete us. We can have incredible relationships. I love my wife. I am so thankful for the joy that comes from being married, but she cannot complete me because there's only one place, there's only one person ultimately who can complete you and that is Jesus Christ. There's only one person who will, who will never fail you, who, who will completely fulfill all of your needs ultimately and it's in Christ. And if we expect our wives or our husbands to do what only he can, we will crush them. They can't handle that. They can't manage the weight of that. And we will live in constant discouragement and disappointment. But if we look foundationally, first and foremost to Christ to, to fulfill us in that way and then out of that to show love, and to experience the blessings of marriage, that's how we'll understand the gospel and understand how it applies to our marriage. Tim Keller says, it is the illusion that if we find our one true soulmate, everything wrong with us will be healed. But that makes the lover into God and no human being can live up to that. So we've seen that the Bible begins with a wedding. What we see as we walk through the book of Genesis after this passage is that Adam messes up. Right? He fails as a husband, he fails as a man, Eve fails as well. And throughout history is a repeating process of husbands and wives who have failed in one way or another and that leads up to today. We're in a room filled with husbands and wives who in one way or another have failed. But the good news is that the Bible doesn't just begin with a marriage, it ends with one. And as the first groom failed, Adam, the second and greatest groom, Jesus Christ, will not fail. And the Bible says that one day the eastern sky will burst forth with light and Christ will return for his bride for us, those who have trusted Christ, the church. And he will bring us to himself and for the rest of eternity, he will pour out his love and favor upon us. And on that day, we will find perfect fulfillment and joy. And so if you believe that, if you live in light of that hope, what it does is right now, it allows you to find hope in a marriage that seems hopeless. It allows you to show love to a spouse that may not always seem lovely. It allows you to serve sacrificially day after day, even if you're not getting what you want in response. We are free to do everything for our spouse without needing anything from them. Why? Because ultimately, as Jesus said in Matthew 10, 8, freely you have received. Now freely give. Thank you for listening. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com.